0: Next week, uh, as I'm I'm getting some things in order here, uh, next week, we've tried for two weeks to have Wendy here to talk about what's happening with the Ride for Revival. It's going to be a big event coming up in uh, just a couple weeks. And I'm pretty certain we have her pinned down for next week. So you have that uh, that sheet in your bulletin or uh, with your bulletin. And um, if you can possibly be there, we encourage you. uh, We encourage you to be there. Today, Ben, for your sakes, we're going to look at what I would consider a classic sermon in scripture. It had a serious impact upon an entire generation of people. It had with it an emotional appeal with a very strong intellectual element undergirding it. Thankfully, This classic sermon is preserved for us. Its power still resonates today. I say, thankfully, it's preserved for us because I preached a classic sermon and it didn't get recorded. To this day, it bothers me. It was a two-part sermon. One was delivered on Mother's Day, the other was delivered on Father's Day. I've looked at that sermon, many, thought of that sermon many times and said that's the best preaching that I ever did in that that Mother's Day, Father's Day thing. I have looked for it in our old cassette tapes. Did we record it? No, we did not. And I don't go back and listen at anything else. From a communication standpoint, it was great. We laughed, we were in the scriptures, but we had a significant point. To make. I knew that that sermon had hit home because somebody felt obligated to tell me afterwards how much they didn't like it. <laughs> and then I knew because there's an evil one who I have found. He cannot steal my salvation, but I'll tell you what, he will try and take the joy out from under me any chance he gets. And that was so much fun preaching that particular sermon. And then this comes along. It's like, well, thank you, thank you. That was real nice of you to communicate that. Uh, I think it bothered the individual that we actually laughed during the sermon. Well, let me take you back to that sermon just for a minute, because it leads us to what I want to say here today. If you were to go, if you were to go to uh, right around the corner from our drinking fountain, you'll see against the outside wall of the women's bathroom. There's a picture with some uh, scripture reference from Psalm 23 about still waters. If you look real careful, at the bottom of that picture, you will see there's a memorial plate that it was given in memory of Fern Lee. Most of you here don't know the name. Okay? Most of you have no idea who you're talking about. Fern was about, stood about this tall and uh, used to live in a home, remember a home that just, for those of you aware, right off of 59, it burned just a couple months ago. And now it's a hole in the ground. Maybe they filled it in, but uh, that was her home. That's where I would visit she and her husband, Robert. And they were just this delightful couple. And uh, Robert was kind of a, uh, just a quieter kind of guy, kind of shy. And I think Fern, through the years, had to learn to kind of help him with a lot of things, be the confidence, if you will, in the nature of their family and in their relationship. But Fern loved the Lord. And when she passed, uh, Doris Bagus who is Miles' aunt, donated that picture in her memory. And this would have all been right around, I think, about 2001 or so. I'm just guesstimating, but not too far off from there. So why are we talking about Fern Lee? And what's that got to do with this classic sermon? Well, this sermon played off of two things. And again, it, took, it actually played itself out over Mother's Day and Father's Day. And one of the elements that was in it, was the idea that it, it, we were looking at the difference between men and women. And physiologically, we are different. And one of the things is our brain chemistry. And during gestation, our brains are treated differently. And men are treated to an acid wash, which affects their, their brains in such a way that they can only focus on one thing. See? No, All the women are chuckling. All right? They can only focus on one thing. And you guys remember that, right? That was the one marble sermon. And years later, you guys remember, you, may, you don't remember the content that was there, but you do remember we'll preached a sermon about one marble, because that's all that men can think about, and you women were chuckling right away. Well, men, knowing that that's the case, and I'm preaching for you on Father's Day, here's what I'm making, I'm making this commitment to you, and this is why I'm trying to keep things moving, okay? going uh, to be very direct, be very concise, very easy to understand, right? That's for you guys, it's a, it's a gift. Steve, why are you not standing up and cheering me right now? Going, thanks, finally something I'll be able to follow with my one marble, all right? So that's, that's one part of what I want to reference. The other thing is this. Um, Fern and Robert both wound up in the Carlston nursing home for a season. And back when we had people in the nursing homes, uh, and I trust we would do this again if necessary, but we would, on our Wednesday night Bible study, would go visit them and we went and visited them and at some point Fern lost Robert so she's the only one who's left we're visiting Fern this one night and uh, we're sitting in like a, around a conference table we get onto this topic this is the season at which I'm preaching these two messages that play off on mother's day and father's day we get onto this topic and somehow around that table the conversation went to a lot of laughter, just as I mentioned, one marble and all you women started chuckling. There was a lot of laughter around that table. And the laughter, much of it was wives teasing about their husbands and, uh, yeah, this kind of thing, right? How different their husbands are from the wives. This went on about 20 minutes, all in good fun. And as the evening was wrapping up, we're there to visit Fern, Right? doesn't have Robert anymore. She added a note of sobriety to the evening when she said, we've all been kidding here about husbands and what they're like. Then she said, but just be thankful you still have yours. It hit home. It hit home. Dads, that's the second part. I wanted to hear that story because I need to say at the outset, if you forget anything else that I say here today, I hope you pick up this spirit in what I'm going to tell you. Dad, you are absolutely necessary in the lives of your children. You are absolutely necessary in the lives of your children and I don't care a whit what our culture is trying to tell you about how insignificant you are. Our culture is wrong on this one. You dads play a role that only you can fulfill in your children's lives. So as Fern was trying to be affirmative in her statement about husbands, I'm trying to be affirmative with you dads that you do something that is absolutely necessary. The schools can't replace you. We as a church can't replace you. Athletic coaches will not replace you. And no law can be written that will somehow fill in the gaps if you're not engaged in your children's life. So please know that. That being said, as a, as a starting point, is it okay then if we get to our very simple statements They're going to come from the scripture that we read, Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Some of you perhaps recognized immediately that, hey, this is the passage that we used to encourage our men in the man cave years ago when we gave out little footballs. And it says Joshua 24, 15 on it, and we're going to be looking at 14 and 15. At this time, Joshua is uh, at the end of, nearing the end of his life the end of his leadership among the people of Israel. From the time he was a young man, he was identified with a faithfulness towards God. If you want to read about that, go to Numbers chapter 14 and read about the, the 12 spies who went out. And there's a little uh, you know, kid's song about 10 were bad and 2 were good. And he was one of the 2 good ones who came back and believed what God had said. Um, the rest didn't believe him. And uh, so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Go back and read that. You'll understand what a young Joshua was like. And you'll see he never lost that spirit. As now at the end of his life. He brings this message. To the people of Israel. And he says. Well, I mean, we're going to just excise out that one little bit. In verse 14. We've already read it. So you, you know the context. Verse 14. Joshua 24. Now therefore. Now therefore. Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, that's the Euphrates, as I've mentioned, and in Egypt, which is south of them, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Magnificent challenge. And I say that, it, that it, was so, it was classic because he impacted, and you can read just later in that chapter, he impacted an entire generation, as well as the generation that followed by the faithfulness of his life. So if we can just consider those few verses, I'd like to make two points, Dad, and they're both short words, simple statements. One marble, right? First of all, dads, find your heading. And by the way, I'm looking over here, and I see Slugger, okay? And I can look over here. And I see Young Porter right here, who might go, this is about dads. What does this have to do with me, Right? Yeah, I think I'd like you to listen. Is that all right? Do you mind? Every one of you young guys who are here, will you please listen? Because this will relate to you as well. And if they're not here, have them listen, you know, online. Say, God, you, need to, you need to see this. Because it's something that has to be built into your lives now. Number one, find your heading. Joshua offers two options, does he not? Hey, choose who you are going to serve. You have one of two choices. You either serve the living God who brought Israel to this incredible place where they now are settled in their land and they have displaced the people around them, There's this amazing history that God had called Abraham, who was at the time dwelling on the other side of the river, the other side of the Euphrates. That's the people from whence he came. God called him from that place, brought him down into the land that Israel, promised that he would give them that land. Now, that was centuries before. Promised he would give them that land. There was a season where they then went down, and we looked at that recently through Joseph, to wait out a famine down in Egypt. Then they came back into the land and now God has given them the land. God himself has directed in all this. And, and Joshua lays out for them, look, who are you going to serve? You can serve him or you have one other choice. You can serve some of those other gods. You can serve maybe the gods on the other side of, 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 the, uh, of the great river, of the Euphrates. Maybe you want to serve the gods that were down in Egypt. Or maybe you would even choose to serve the gods that are right around us from the pagan, pagan peoples that have been dwelling here for centuries. We have displaced, but make a choice. Get clear on what your decision is. Find your heading. In offering those two options, I think he he, he shapes them around a few different phrases. He begins with verse fourteen. Now, therefore, fear. The Lord. I believe that is so incredibly important that he starts there. Because what he's calling them to do is to understand who God is. When you make this decision, understand who God is. Who this one is who has been directing our forefathers and, and built this nation and brought us here and given us victories. Understand who he is. Because when you understand who he is, you will be in awe of him. And there needs to be a change in our minds that we begin to understand who God truly is. And I believe that's what he's calling them to. That they would learn to fear him because of all of the awesomeness of his being. And then he says, serve him in sincerity and in truth. That means there needs to be a change in our hearts. We're not talking about lip service. We're not not talking about saying one thing. Yeah, I think I want to serve God and then going off and doing something else. It's about about learning on a daily basis to seek Him. To walk with Him. To let Him have the call and the say in our lives. And that's a, a, a lifelong growing experiment, is it not? Guys, do you not know? You've walked with the Lord 40, 50 years, some of you. And are there not still places that... Ah, man... Yielding to the Lord on this is hard. There needs to be a change in our hearts. And those phrases about sincerity and truth are about, about the nature of what's in our heart and our commitment to serving God. And then there needs to be a change in our actions when he says, and put away the God's. If we're going to walk with God, if we're going to acknowledge who he is with our whole hearts, we're going, to, we're going to allow him to speak into our lives and direct our lives, there are things we're going to have to give up, plain and simple. There are gods we have worshipped. Now, in their case, it's easy to look at that. You know, he's saying the gods of the other side of the river, down in Egypt, the gods of the people right around you. These were actual pagan gods. Well, we're, we're not much into worshipping pagan gods where we go and we have little figurines that we you know, bow down to. But do we not have pagan gods within our culture? Absolutely we have pagan gods within our culture. The things that we worship, the things that we say are most important, the things that, that we say, you know, this is what life is really all about. And they can become our gods. And our culture worships them. Now, one of the things I'd like to point out He's calling them to a choice that is based upon sound thinking. It begins with this mind, fear the Lord, understand who he is. And when you understand who he is, you will be in awe of him. I think that is absolutely necessary. Because right now, we're being challenged to go in all sorts of different directions based upon things that are built on emotion. There's all sorts of people happening in our nation and in our world. And when in the middle of all that upheaval, we can get real real dramatic about decisions that we think need to be made. But I've been at this long enough now, guys, to know this. Dramatic decisions made in the height of emotions do not last. Or should I say 99 times out of 100? So I'm not asking you to make some dramatic, emotional-filled decision. Let me give you a couple of examples so you see what I'm getting at. First ministry up in Lake Bronson in Lancaster. Loved ministering up there. Loved it. Because there's a the quality of people like right here. Within the first year that I was there, might have even been within a matter of months that, that we first arrived. Sadly, a young man took his life. I didn't know him. Hadn't been there long enough for him to ever attend the church there, and but his family attended the church. So it was determined that the Perhaps the best way to minister into this situation was to bring in a guy who was in ministry from that town, knew this guy, watched him grow up. Okay, so he comes in, he speaks. I'll tell you what, he passionately called. It was time for something new. He passionately called for a change in how we were living. He passionately called us. That in light of this sadness that is here in this tragic event, something needs to be different. And we all said, Amen. And two weeks later, nothing had changed. And we all settled back after the emotions to kind of be in wherever we were before. Most of you have experienced something like that at a national level. 9-11. 2001, planes hit some towers, hit the Pentagon, one flies into a field, and we all sing, God bless America. We all know that it's time for a change. What? Has America fallen back to where it was? Has America... Do we more call upon God now than before 2001? I don't think so. In fact, if anything, I, I fear we're further away. In the height of emotion, boy, it worked. It worked real good to call people to a new commitment to eternal things. So, if you're getting where I'm coming from on this, I'm not big and I don't like to play on, hey, these and a highly emotionally charged to something new or something different because the only way you can keep it going is to constantly crank emotions again and again and again. And for me, emotion fatigue sets in and I can't sustain it. But when our decision is based upon sound intellectual thought, it will carry us and anchor us through the rising and falling tides of emotion. And I believe that Joshua understood that and he began with fear the Lord. Understand who God is. And once you understand who God is, all these other gods will just fall by the wayside. Clearly, that's not what he wants them to do when he gives them the two options. So, first thing, guys, find your heading. Do you know who God is? Do you understand the incredible... Being it is we worship every week as the creator God of the universe. Do you have a grasp of that? That will anchor you. Find your heading. Second thing important, dads, important young men bring your family. Once you have your heading clear, bring your family. Joshua went on to say, after giving them this choice of, hey, you can serve the God who has saved us, or the gods in all these other lands, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying, clearly, in my home, God alone will be honored. And there will be no room for these other gods. Now, I find myself conflicted, guys. Can I be honest with you? I'm conflicted right at this point as to how to say this next thing. Should I say, Dad, you should be setting the tone in your home. Or should I say, Dad, you are setting the tone in your home. See, because both are true. I told you this story not, not long ago about a little boy is getting off my bus and I think he's second, maybe third grade. He's hopping off my bus and I said something to him that included an understanding and that, uh, you know, that the Lord is in the picture of our lives. And as he gets off the bus, he stops, he turns to me and he says, I'm not into that God stuff. Got off the bus. And I thought to myself, wasn't that an interesting moment? How is it that a third grade boy has resolved the issue for his life? That God doesn't need to be any part of it. Third grade? He's not into it. Where did that come from? Pretty certain he got it from dad. Pretty certain he heard dad speak about the things of God in this way. And because dad had dismissed it, he could dismiss it too. So you see guys, we should be setting the tone in our homes. That's one way to put it. But also we are setting the tone, whether we like it or not. We are setting the tone. So it causes us to just raise this back to where we were with find your heading. Are we convinced that God is who He is? Are we convinced that the scriptures are real? We maybe have some studying to do in that place. We maybe have some growth that needs to happen. I would love to talk to you. If you say, I'm really, you don't care, I've listened to you preach for many years. I'm really not convinced. That the Bible is the Word of God. I'm really not convinced that God even exists. But, uh, you know, I had one guy tell me once again, first ministry, I had a guy tell me once, I send my kids to your church, he didn't come. See, he was bearing an influence. But he said, because I like the moral values you teach. (laughs) Well, guess what, buddy? You're missing your role as a dad. What? Are we convinced it's true? That's our mind. Have we confessed our need? That's our heart. Do we recognize God needs to have my heart and my allegiance and that I serve him in sincerity and in truth? And have I conformed my actions? It can, has God changed anything in me? Will I give up the godless television shows that make fun of who Jesus Christ is? Will I walk away from it, even though they might be funny and entertaining? I walked away from Saturday Night Live back in the 80s. And I caught one skit where they were just making fun of Jesus Christ. Very creative. I haven't watched it since. What are we opening our minds to? Are we willing to turn from it? Because there is so much godlessness that is out there, friends. And much of it comes in the form of entertainment. So there's just a, there's just a, there's just a thought. But I'm, gonna, I'm wrapping it up now because I'm trying to be, I told you, I would not, I'm not going to push this. Bring your family. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, you should be setting the tone in your home. Dad, you are setting the tone in your home. The question is where are you bringing them? When we were living in Racine, our kids, Danea was just in junior high, so it's quite a while ago now. We saved some pennies together, and so once in a lifetime trip, we're going to take our kids to Disney World. We knew we couldn't afford to do it more than once. We wanted to do it while well, they were just kind of at that age where they could all remember something of it, and it would be valuable to all of them. So we went to Disney World. Stayed on a Disney property. Uh, Forget what, which hotel we were in. One of the lower end ones, of course. But we're right on Disney property. And uh, each morning, of the three mornings that we were there, each morning we were going to go out and, and hit a different park. It's when they had three parks at the time. I think they might have four now. But anyways, we're going to hit a different park. So me, I'm the papa, right? I am going to lead my family. For three mornings in a row. Every time I drive out of the parking lot, of the hotel, to head towards the theme park that we're going to hit for that day, I come across one sign that I interpret the same every single morning, and I wind up in a dead-end service road where basically the sign says, you can't get in here. (laughs) Three times I did that. And then I repented, right? Each time, well, I'm going to dead end here. This clearly isn't where we belong. So I repented, turned around, went a different way, went back, reread the signs. Every time I wound up there, I can't remember. She'll probably remind me whether or not my wife is saying, we went this way yesterday. (laughs) Don't you see? But I, here's the point. I couldn't get it out of my mind. This is the right way to go. I was interpreting it, seeing it. And that's exactly what it meant to me. And I got it wrong every time. Dads, I brought my family to the wrong place every day. Now we're just talking about a little time lost in a theme park. But dads, it is of utmost importance when we're talking about eternal truths that we don't bring our family to the wrong place to a dead end service role that says (laughs) you missed it and so did your kids so that's why we say again dads in this incredibly critical role that only you can fulfill in the lives of your children One, find your heading dads are you tracking truth That the God, the creator God of the universe, has a place in your life and is leading you so that when you, too, bring your family, you're bringing them to the right place. Now, I do not say this as an attempt to be a guilt trip. I do not say this as an attempt to to make somebody leave here feeling really heavy about their role as, as a father. Honestly, if you're here today, I think that speaks well. You're trying and I'm thankful for that. I do want to encourage us men that you are a, a frontline value. You are of such significant value in the lives of your children and I want you to grasp this because our culture is looking to tear you down in your role as a man. And I'm trying to build that up. Because our kids need dads. Please know this, not a guilt trip, an encouragement. And young men, when you do become dads one day, I'm concerned that if our culture does not change, if there's no repentance, if there's no revival within our nation, it's going to be even harder. And your kids all the more are going to need the light of your lives clearly, clearly focused and in the right heading. So thank you for listening. Now, last thought that I'm going to bring this with. Because I've seen this work. And I could give you, from right here, I could give you ten illustrations. I'm going to give you three. First of all, I tease him relentlessly. And I love him to death. Bob Dahl. Bob Dahl has four children who are all walking with Jesus Christ. Grandchildren and great-grandchildren who are seeking the Lord. Bob Dahl. There's a couple of things about him that identify his life. Number one, a firm commitment to walking with God in basketball. <laughs> no? Hang on to that. Mm, there he is back there. Dave Stenell Doesn't want me to mention him. Dave Stenell, Three kids. Walking with the Lord. We had... Josh and Kayla up here last week. We saw an entire family stand behind Diana and pray for her. Okay? Who made a profession of faith while she was here with us. Dave Stinell. Two things about Dave Stinell. A firm commitment to walk with the Lord. And camping and fishing. Wildman man, Dave Stinell was not with us last week because he was in the Boundary Waters with his son Nathan Understand the impact he has had through the years by taking his son and daughters camping and fishing, and how his view and his heading are absorbed in them during that time. I give you one more again. I can, I got a lot more. I will give you only one more because there's a point in this. I'm trying to set up some appointments to uh, to. Uh, Meet with Brody Porter because of some things we need to be talking about. For he and Gracie, we're excited about that. Oh, there's Brody back there, all right. And twice I heard from Brody, and then I heard from Steve as far as setting up points. It's like something about rafters coming in, rafters coming in. We got rafters coming in. So I knew nobody was available this week. Well, Steve sent me some pictures, and I began to understand what was going on there, and that they're building a house for Brody and his new wife. But Steve is building the house with his boys. Steve Porter has got his focus on the Lord and a deer farm and land that he works with his sons. You talk to him. It means everything to him that he works that with his sons doesn't take long before you understand. You'll hear Steve say something. I don't have my boys much longer. He's been investing in them. If you don't know the children of these people who I have mentioned, you need to get to know them because you will find immediately they are all quality young people. Quality young people. The girls and the guys alike. I throw this out there for two reasons. Number one... It does work. You are, these dads have influenced their children. That's number one. But number two, this is for a freeing point. You don't have to be one of them. I, I can't do what Bob does with basketball. All right, I gave it up in eighth grade. I was short, but I was slow. So I just had to let it go. I don't have the camping knowledge, nor do I have the inclination to portage a canoe. I mean, the canoe belongs in the water. Why would you bring it up to the, the edge of the water and then carry it for two miles? My, oh my, it belongs in the water. I got it off the vehicle, I got it off the rack, put it in the water. I don't want to have to pick it up, carry it across land, all right? But wild man has done that, and he has stories to tell about being out there with his kids. Certainly, I'll never know what Steve knows about both construction and white-tailed deer. So I can't be those guys. And none of you can either. And you don't need to try. That's my point. You don't even need to try. Get your heading straight. Find your heading. And then bring your family. And whoever you are, bring them along in that. What are your interests? What are the things that you do do, that you do enjoy? Make that what your family does. And your kids will get the right heading also. So, man, you understand, one, you're extremely important. You need to find your heading, bring your family, and there's freedom in that. It's according to how God has wired you How he's wired you, not how he's wired someone else. And that's where the joy is, that you can walk in that. Amen? Father, thank you for the men who are here. Thank you for the young boys who are here, who are going to be fathers one day. Lord, I absolutely believe that our culture is looking to tear down the place of the father in the home, to destroy the the strength that a man needs to bring to his family, the protection that he needs to be to them. And Father, I pray for those who are still in this task of being a dad or their grandfathers, Lord, that you will give them the courage and the strength to continue to seek the heading where you are forefront in their thinking and give them wisdom as they bring their families along, Father. We need these earthly dads. And uh, we thank you for them. We pray for them. We pray for their protection. We pray, Father, for wisdom for them. And we thank you for the results that we have seen time and time again when men have sought you. They've invested in their children. And it has turned out good time and time again. Thank you, Lord. We yield these men up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.